Blog Talk Radio. Kingway Fox Beerlock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kempak's cat, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. You know, I just love that song. I don't know if I've told you guys this before, but I do. I love it. It's catchy, and I like it. And when we hear that song, that means it's time for Trek Talking. So pick up your phone and give us a call, 646-668-2433. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to be talking Tilly tonight. That's right. We're going to be talking Tilly. But we got a lot more stuff to go through first. We have our Star Trek birthdays. We have our fan shout-outs. We have our convention calendar. And we have some Star Trek news. And amongst our Star Trek news, we're going to talk a little bit about Michelle Nichols being honored by NASA. That's right. And, of course, have we really seen The Last of Tilly? Well, you'll have to tune in to find out. All that and so much more is going on here live right now. It's Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we'd love to hear from you. With me, as usual, are my Trek experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, I am having a fantastic night. And I was just thinking, uh, I hope it's not, like, I don't know if it's vain to like the song that you sing. But that okay. song gets me going, too, Jim. Every time I hear it, I'm like, yeah, yeah let's talk about stress. Okay. You know, it's a great night. It, it, it's a great song. I, I I had so much fun writing the lyrics for it, but it, I I enjoy it even more when I hear you sing it because writing it is one thing, but hearing it is just it's a great song. I think I think we're a great team. We could be like the next Beatles, you know, McCartney and Lennon. The next Hall and Oates, baby. Let's do it. That's right. I'll grow a little mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go for that. <laughs> we could we could do it. We could do it. Yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> and uh, we also have Charles. Charles is out in Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. I wish Uncle Jim would stop sharing his weather with us. It's yeah, I think it was down to about 34 at sunrise this morning and didn't even get out of the 40s today. Wow. Well, we're in for a cold spell. Well, you want to hear something strange, Charles? We broke a record today for warmth. It was 56 degrees here today. Oh, it's been, okay, It has been raining. It's warmer where you are than it is here. Wow. Up, up, up here in the, in the Green Mountains of Vermont, it's been raining, 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 raining. All the snow that we had before is gone. 
And it's just been raining, thankfully, because if it was coming down as snow, we'd be buried right now. But even though it's 56 right now, we're expecting a snowstorm on Saturday. Go figure. You know, that's what happens up here in New England. It's crazy. Mother Nature is like, she's got the DMA going on, I think. That is true. Strike it. I want to let you guys know that we have 62,520 downloads of this podcast as of showtime. So thank you so much to each and every one of you guys, wherever you may be, whenever you may be, for listening to this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. And on top of that, we have 77,625 followers on our Facebook page. Just astounding you can find us on facebook at trek talking and beyond just head on over there give us a like give us a follow you'll never miss a podcast that way and at the top of the pod of the podcast page you'll see the live long and prosper and just drop us a little line tell us where you're listening from every week i pick 15 lucky listeners like that guy in australia and if there's a heart next to your name, that means yours truly, Uncle Jim, has picked your name, and you're going to be on the next fan shout-out. So, without any further ado, Eric, who's on your fan shout-out list? Well, our first fan shout-out this week goes to top fan Sylvain Bergeron from Quebec Province, Canada. She says, live long and prosper. Happy, or not happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks for contacting us, <laughs> Sylvain Bergeron. Uh, so awesome to have you on our Facebook page. We're also saying thanks and sending out a big hello to Mike Chipman from the birthplace of Confederation, Anne of Green Gables, Red Sandy Beaches, Potatoes, and the famous five, Prince Edward Island, Canada. I learned so much on this podcast. I had to look up like four out of those five that I knew Anna Green Gables, but the rest I was like, wow, that's fair. Oh, and potatoes. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> so thanks Mike Chipman for uh, listening to us on the podcast here. We're also saying hello to Karani Composer from Netherlands. Thank you for listening. Jonah Jahari from Malaysia says live long and prosper from almost the other side of the planet, certainly the other side of the ocean. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. And my final fan shout-out goes to Mindy Morris-Looper, who's in South Carolina by way of Michigan. Charles, who's on your list this week? Oh, Jim is trying to catch me right off. Benny Holgerson from Rookie King King Shred. Sweden. I know I had problems with that one. <laughs> Not sure on that one. Mary Frontieria from Apache Junction, Arizona. I'm familiar with Apache Junction, just never been in there. That's just that's east of Phoenix, actually east of Gilbert. So Orangeby from Michigan, USA. Top fan, Maria Alice from West Midlands, USA. And Keith Wong from Peck, Austin, Texas. Future Homa, first contact. Well, hopefully it's going to be a good first contact, Keith. Jim, 
Got anybody from New York City? Well, oddly enough, I do. <laughs> Funny how that happens, isn't it? So uh, we'd like to say thank you and applaud to top fan Marlene Geo Reddish from New York. Don't know from where, but New York nonetheless. Top fan Gregor Cameron from Edinburgh. You guys remember? That's where Scotty came from. He came That's all right. the way from Edinburgh to uh, tour PlexiCorp on an invitation. And uh, so thanks for listening to Gregor. We'd also like to say thank you and live long and prosper to Grain Kearney from Belfast, Northern Ireland, who sends the live long and prosper symbol right back at you. We'd like to say thank you for listening to Alexandria Kopek Grice from Warsaw, Poland. And definitely last but not least, uh, Mike Villarreal from Metro Manila, Philippines. And uh, I work with somebody from the Philippines, actually, so that's pretty cool. So uh, thanks for listening to each and every one of you guys. If you'd like to hear your name on a future fan shout-out, please head over to our Facebook page. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Tell us where you're from. Look for a heart next to your name. And tune into the next podcast to hear your name. Without any further ado, it's time for our birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. And just like we do every week, we like to start off our birthday list remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, our very first remembrance this week goes out to actor David Cadente, who was the Klingon sergeant that uh, killed Kirk's son, David, in Star Trek Three. So uh, a Klingon we love to hate as much as Kirk does, uh, played by David Cariente. Happy birthday. We're also saying happy birthday to Clegg Hoyt, who played the transporter chief, uh, Pitt Karen, in TOS's episode, The Cage. He was the gentleman uh, in the sort of yellow uniform. And uh, interestingly enough, they actually dubbed his voice over uh, in that episode, so we actually never got to hear that actor's voice despite uh, hearing uh, lines from that character. So uh, happy birthday to Clegg Hoyt, who would have had a birthday this week. Uh, now we have sprinkled in uh, the well-known ones this week because we have a bunch of remembrances this week that uh, people will be excited about uh, knowing these actors. John Colicos, uh, one of the quintessential Klingons, of course, played Kor. Uh, in many iterations of Star Trek, back in the day, he played himself in T- or he played that character on TOS's episodes uh, "Errand of Mercy." In DS9, he played an older core in Blood Oath, uh, sort of Kalos once more into the breach. Uh, very famous actor, very famous, and one of the big three, right? One of the big three Klingons that we get to see throughout the years. So, happy birthday to John Colicos. And Rose I know him. Yeah. Yeah. I know him myself as Boltar from Battlestar Galactica, oh, yeah. Adama's uh, arch nemesis. So, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, good one. Uh, we're also sending out our remembrances this week to Joseph Bernard, who played the character Tark in TOS's episode Wolf in the Fold. Uh, you'll remember he's the uh, ends up being the alien in the end. Oops, spoiler alert! But if you haven't seen it by now, uh, probably should have. Uh, so, happy birthday to Joseph Bernard. 
Uh, here's another Klingon to wet your whistle, Jim. Uh, happy birthday and remembrances going out to uh, one of my personal favorite Klingons, Christopher Plummer, playing General Chang, of course, in Star Trek VI, the educated Klingon, uh, the man who uh, fancies himself cultured, which I think sets him apart from other Klingons, which makes me super excited about his character. And of course, he just did such a great job in that role. And of course, a lot of people seem to forget that he also was in a really popular, very well-known musical that came out way back in the 70s, The Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. He absolutely was. Yeah. That's right. He's, he was uh, Mr. He's Von those, Trapp. That's right. He's uh, one of those yep. guys who's a triple threat, you know, singer, dancer, actor. Uh, he can do it all. So uh, Christopher Plummer, you know, quite the man. I, and in honor of Christopher Plummer, I just want to play this quick soundbite for you guys in remembrance of Christopher Plummer as Chang from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Tickle us, do we not laugh? Trick us, do we not bleed? Wrong us. Shall we not revenge? Our revels now are ended, Kirk. Cry havoc! And let's put the dogs of war! I am constant as the northern star. I'd give real money if he'd shut up. To be or not to be. You know, wow. I wonder how Chang and Khan would have gotten along together. You know, they either they either would have been a dynamic duo, the duo that would have taken over the universe, or they would have obliterated each other. I, I'm not sure. Which. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would have been I really great. I wonder if it's because of him that they talk about uh, hearing hearing Shakespeare in its original Klingon form. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's yeah. a bit of an influence yeah. on that quote because he's. Uh, he throws out a lot of good Shakespeare. Yeah. And you know, a lot of lines for him. Speaking of that, Charles, back in 1991, <laughs> when I did my first Star Trek convention in Albany, New York, right across the street from uh, uh, University of Albany, actually, um, there was an English professor there that taught at the college and got in touch with me and said, hey, have you seen Star Trek Six? I was like, dude. I'm running a Star Trek convention. I dress up as a Klingon. Of course I've seen Star Trek six. <laughs> and he says that he was fascinated by Christopher by the Klingon spouting all the Shakespeare. And he would love to come to the convention and do a lecture on Shakespeare and how it reflects in Star Trek. And I was like, Hey, cool. And so this professor yeah. from the university came to the convention. And did a whole lecture on Shakespeare and Star Trek, which I thought was really cool. So I just want yeah. to throw that out. <laughs> Super cool. Oh, that, that would yeah. have been a fascinating panel. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't get Whoa. to see it because I was busy running the convention. But I wish I had. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Could never get to eat the food. Ugh. No. <laughs> you get to cook it, but never get to eat it. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, well enough, it's, enough it's, jabbering. Let's get on with our remembrances. Yeah. Well, it's nice to celebrate the birthday of Christopher Plummer. Uh, obviously, uh, yeah. a Klingon we all love. Um, 
We're also celebrating the birthday of Marta Dubois this week, uh, another famous actress who has been in many, many things. In Star Trek terms, she played the character Ardra uh, in TNG's episode Devil's Do. You'll remember she's kind of a, uh, not uh, godlike, but she's like the devil on this planet, and she's made a deal with them, and then she'd come back a thousand years later or something like that. Uh, but she was all over the place uh, back in the day. I mean, you will probably remember her from things like Hardcastle McCormick, Magnum P.I., she was on L.A. Law, Silk Stockings, Matlock. And, of course, on one of my favorite one-season shows, I love Firefly one season, but this one was another one I loved as a kid that only lasted one season. She was on Tales of the Gold Monkey, and I loved that show so much. Um, and so happy birthday to Marta Dubois playing Ardra in TNG's Devil's Do. Uh, another interesting tidbit, we have a birthday this week. Uh, ben Cross would have had a birthday. And Ben Cross, of course, plays Sarek in Star Trek 2009, uh, does a great job in that role. I had no idea until I looked him up on Memory Alpha that he actually was considered for the role of Benjamin Sisko on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Can you believe that? Wow. I did not know I that. Know. Oh, I did not know that. So happy birthday to Ben Cross, uh, who played a great Kelvin uh, timeline, Sarek. Uh, we're also saying happy birthday to Herbert F. Solo, uh, one of those folks who's like, who's that? Well, you may not know him by his name, uh, but you certainly know him by his works. He is a very famous executive producer uh, of Star Trek back in the day. His stamp is all over Star Trek, all over the place. Um, his, uh, I think he was officially given the moniker or something like executive in charge of production or something like that. And of course had cr- his uh, name shown during the credits of every episode of TOS. Um, so definitely somebody uh, who had a big influence, I think back in the day. And of course that all leads up to what we have these days. So and if you watch, Star Trek, the original series, you yeah. will see his name every single time in when the credits roll and you see the picture of Balak. Yeah. From the Corbinite maneuver. His yeah. name is front and center right there. And you will see it in every single episode. And if you've ever watched TOS, I know that you know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about. You will see it. <laughs> and I, I want to say, before Eric does the next one, I mm. obviously have a clip to play. Mm. And the reason why I want to play this clip, and I want to say something real quick before Eric tells you guys who this person is, and you, you probably will know it as soon as you hear the clip anyways, if you're a Star Trek fan. Um, if not, why are you listening to this podcast, man? Anyways, <laughs> um, music is so important and particularly in Star Trek. And I think through the years as Star Trek fans, we have been so fortunate to have some of the best composers work on the music for the shows that we love. And it continues even with Discovery and Picard today. And, you know, we have Star Trek, the motion picture, we have Jerry Goldsmith. We, we have got some great, great composers that have composed the music that we love. Well, If it wasn't for this guy and for the next clip that I'm going to play for you guys, none of this, none of this great music or these awesome composers that we celebrate would even be here writing these songs today. So before Eric tells you whose birthday we're celebrating today, I'm going to play this clip and I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to guess it. And I'll give you a hint. It's not William Shatner. 
okay? Because you know you're gonna hear you're gonna hear his voice in this clip, but it's not William Shatner. It's somebody else who, whose influence is in that clip. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Okay, Eric, I set it up for you. Go for it. We, this guy is one of the two pillars of Star Trek music in our lives. This week, Alexander Courage, the man, the myth, the legend, would have had a birthday. He is the composer of that most excellent theme that was used over and over again throughout TNG and even shows up in little tinges here and there all the way through to Discovery. Um, scored numerable episodes that you have heard over and over again, was a producer, conductor, orchestrator, like worked really closely with Jerry Goldsmith uh, in so many different ways. So a a big, big pillar of that Star Trek music that we all know and love. Uh, Alexander Courage would have had a birthday this week, and he's a big one. He is as big as any of our favorite actors because without the music, you, you can't set the mood, right? The mood is really set by what you're hearing and not always what you're seeing. Exactly. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Alexander Courage. And that is the end of our remembrances this week. There were quite a few, but some some heavy hitters. So, Charles, would you like to continue with those uh, in our Star Trek community who are still with us? Yes. Now, before before we start this, I have to say something. Before we start this, Charles... Um, I know of your fondness for Star Trek Four, and I want to say that first, and because that's <laughs> the reason why you have the first one, okay? So, so that's why. So take it away, Charles. I, I, by the way, in our chat, I shared a picture from the Star Trek convention, and oh. it actually is a picture of an alien who actually looks like the one we just mentioned. He's dressed up as that specific alien. He has on a a piece of plastic in front of him, Herbert Slow's name on executive producer. He actually walked around as the alien and held the screen up like you were looking at the TV screen on the credits. What a great that's costume. Awesome. We'll try to post that later to the Facebook page. But that just reminded me of the fact that I saw somebody actually use that in his costume, in his cosplay costume. Nice. All right, Charles. Give, give it your okay. best shot. Vijay Amrin Radha 
played Captain Rudolph, Randolph, in Star Trek Four. Yeah, you remember him. He's the guy that was declared that was going to deploy a solar sail, sail. generate yep. enough energy to keep us alive. Yep. Captain Absolutely. of the USS Yorktown, I believe it it was. I think you're correct. Okay. Sananya Flang Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah. Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <coughs> I played Gillian Tanner in TNG's Inherent and Ambassadors. Also played Oh and Valar, Enterprise's Fallen Hero. And Nina, Nina, Pandora in DS9. That. It's a nice mouthful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was. Hillary she was pretty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I love Valar. Honestly, from Enterprise, she's one of those um, Vulcans that you sort of love to hate. Uh, she's so serious and has that face that's just like. Just a stone face. I don't know. I loved her in that in that particular role. <laughs> She's such a good actress. That was a good one. Yeah. Hillary Shepard played Hoya in DS9 the ship and Lauren in DS9 Statistical Probabilities and Chrysalis. So a couple of people who played several roles. And then this next one, I had I had forgotten about that fact. But Howie Higo played Riva in TNG's Loud as a Whisper. And I did not realize that Riva was deaf, so was the actor himself. Which definitely made, I think definitely, I think would have made the character even stronger. But I yeah. love what Reva did. That yeah, was, that was an interesting episode. It was such a good episode, Charles. I agree with you. And I was realizing that I just said something earlier that is kind of like insensitive to that a little bit. I said, you know, the mood is really set by the music, which is true for hearing people. And so I'd like to acknowledge that, you know, obviously the mood is set by many things. And even if you're not a hearing person... Star Trek obviously does a pretty good job of setting the mood with lighting and writing and all the other yeah. good things about it. So, yeah, for sure. And, and another yeah. little, little trivia I want to throw in there for you, Charles, is the woman that was the lead of his orchestra, or uh, what did he call them, orchestra? Yeah. There were three people that talked for him. Yes. The leader of the, of the people that talked to him, the female was actually John Delancey's real-life wife who played Q. So that was an, just a little trivia. Wow. So That's awesome. Yeah. All Pretty right. cool. See how educational this and podcast is? <laughs> so much trivia. <laughs> and then Melissa Roxborough played Anton Still from Star Trek Beyond. And you guys remember her. She's the one that had the alien face hugger on the back of her head. Yeah. And her fingers <laughs> well, open up and Kirk sticks. Yeah. Yep, and sticks the thing into her, into her head. And, uh, yeah, that was her. So. I, I can't, I really, like, from an evolutionary standpoint, I 
don't have any idea why somebody would evolve like that, but it was hilarious and I love it. It was pretty cool. It was cool. So, anyways, we have to take our very first commercial break, guys. So, quick run to the bathroom, run to the kitchen, grab something to eat, and get right back. Don't touch that dial. We have birthdays. We have Star Trek news. We have the convention calendar, calendar, calendar. We've got a lot more stuff to go over. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear from our very own Subcommander Charles. Hi, this is Subcommander Charles from Trek Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction themed podcast on the internet. Our elite team of Trek experts are here to discuss Star Trek and related science fiction content. And we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 Thursday nights from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific Coast Time. And we'll get you on the air to share your opinion. Or you can also find us on Facebook. We have faith that you will call. And we're back, guys. And I'm going to continue on with our birthdays. Uh, first of all, we like to say happy birthday to John Rubenstein. And we're like, who is that dude? Well, I'm going to tell you. He played John Evansville in Boys episode The 37s, which was a pretty cool episode. And he played Captain Maritza on Enterprise's Fallen Hero. Wow, that's two from Fallen Hero. Interesting. And, of course, he played Kuvak on Enterprise's The Awakening and the Kirshara. He's one of those, uh, one of those Vulcans that you hate. Mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know, they had a lot of those on Enterprise. Uh, this next one, um, yeah, this next one had a, a, a reference um, to Star Trek with the, the five notes. And uh, yeah. yeah, we'd like to say happy birthday to Roberta Lincoln, Terry Gar herself from the TOS episode of Simon Earth. But I think, I think she's more well known for her part in the five tone movie, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. She was married to Richard Dreyfus when he was going through his mashed potato phase and his giant clay sculpture in the middle of the living room phase and everything else. She played his wife. So happy birthday to Terry Carr. Uh, in fact, we just, uh, two books ago, we just referenced uh, Close Encounters with Taylor yes, we did. Because oh, yeah, that's right. they sat there and tried to hum the tune, trying to find a mass communication with the alien. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Those the five notes, five notes. Dun 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 yeah. dun dun. Yep, that was it. I wish I had a sound bite for that, but I don't. Maybe I should get one. Anyway, <laughs> so happy birthday to Terry Gar. I could pull a lot of stuff out of out of thin air, but not that. <laughs> So we'd also like to say happy birthday to Madchen Enik, who played Anya in the TNG episode, The Dauphine. She was Wesley Crusher's girlfriend-ish, pseudo, kind of, sort of, until she turned into a giant creature. <laughs> right. So happy birthday. <laughs> you know, and, beat, and beat the crap out of war. <laughs> yes. So that's that's her birthday. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Ronnie Rowe Jr., who plays Lieutenant Junior Grade R.A. Bryce on Star Trek Discovery. Happy birthday to Ronnie. 
Bryce. And we also, yeah, Bryce, he's the man. We love he, you, Bryce. Uh, we love that you're getting lines now. It's cool. He's the one that did the windsurfing in a couple of episodes ago, right? Yeah. Heck yeah, yeah. He's a surfer. Yep. Yeah. That's right. He was the surfer. So happy birthday to Ronnie Roy Rowe Jr. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Melanie Smith, who played Torziel on Deep Space Nine. She was the last and most recent person to play Torziel. She was the third person to play Torziel, and she played Torziel the most. She appeared in six episodes as Torziel. So happy birthday to Melanie Smith. And the last one we have on the list is the longest tenured ensign in the history of Star Trek. And he does eventually become a captain, though. Although Janeway goes back and changes the future, so maybe he's still stuck as an ensign. We don't really know. But we'd like to say happy birthday to Garrett Wong, who plays Ensign Harry Kim on Boy. So, yeah. Well, Jim, I just want to say that Garrett Wong was one of my favorite guests that we've had on the show. I loved being able to talk to him actually live and have him on and to hear him talk about you know, the injustice, really, of Harry Kim being an ensign for that long. I like to think that Harry Kim became a captain. Like, he he became a captain in the end and was able to, like, use his full array of skills, you know, to the to the benefit of Starfleet. I just feel like that's the way it must have gone down. Well, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about us, about that. I think that the way Star Trek has been written in the past, not so much now, is that everything on the starship, everything was stagnant and nothing really, no one ever moved. It's not very realistic if you think about it. So people didn't move up in the ranks. People didn't leave the ships. New people didn't come on. It stayed the same for seven seasons, basically. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think that's why Harry Kim ended up as an ensign for the whole show. But anyways, we'll talk about that. I I don't have a Star Trek birthday, but a very special birthday, very near and dear to my heart. Um, someone who stole my heart in high school. You guys may know her as Ewok Karen. She went to me with me to my very first Star Trek convention way, 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 way back in 1983. Mark Leonard was the guest. It was in Albany, New York at the Holiday Inn. And we went and, mar- and met Mark Leonard, uh, who cor- the late Mark Leonard, who plays uh, Spock's father. And I got an autograph from him, uh, which I still have to this day. Uh, we weren't dressing up at that point, but she was enduring my involvement in Star Trek nonetheless. I think that most girls might have run away and thought I was some weirdo, but she stuck with me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, that was uh, many, many moons ago. And Sunday is my wife, Karen's 55th birthday. She's going to catch up with me. I'm six months older than her. So she'll be the old double nickel on Sunday. So I have to say happy birthday to my lovely, wonderful, awesome wife, Karen. Uh, I love her with all my heart. She means the world to me. She puts up with me doing this podcast every Thursday night for the last 10 years. She is. She's awesome. So um, I have to say happy birthday, and I have to play the song. Well, there's a punk in the alley, and he's looking for a fight. There's an Arab on the corner buying everything inside. There's a mother in the 
ghetto with another mouth of feet. Seems that everywhere you look today, there's misery and greed. I guess you know the earth is going to crash into the sun, but that's no reason why we shouldn't have a little fun. So if you think it's scary, if it's more than you can take, just blow out the candles and have a piece of cake. Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday! And uh, Karen was actually excited and looking forward to going to the Las Vegas 55-year convention with me and meeting all of you guys in person. And she was as disappointed as me that we could not go. So happy birthday to my awesome wife, Karen. And now it's time for convention, 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 calendar, 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 calendar. Alright guys, if you have a, a convention or an event going on in your area that you'd like to have read on this show, just go to our Facebook page, Chuck Talking and Beyond, and get us the information and we'll get it on the convention calendar as soon as possible. Any of the conventions that we mention, I recommend getting in touch with the location where the convention is being held at for more information or maybe do a quick search on the internet and get some contact info. So starting off, we have Con Nuga. 2022, February 18th, 19th, and 20th at the Chattanooga Convention Center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have Pensacon 2022, February 18th, 19th, and 20th in Pensacola Bay Center, Pensacola, Florida. We have Lalocon 2022, February 19th at the Seawalk Pavilion in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. And last but not least on my list, we have Alaska Comic-Con, February 19th and 20th, 2022, at the Carlson Center in Fairbanks, Alaska. Eric, who's on your list for conventions? Oh, we got some good ones. We're looking at Oz Comic-Con, February 19th through 20th, at the Adelaide Showgrounds in Adelaide, South Australia. Also, QuadCon Davenport, uh, February 19th through the 20th, at the North Park Mall in Davenport, Iowa. We've got the San Diego Rocket Con, February 19th through the 20th at the Scottish Rite Event Center in San Diego, California. And last on my list is Shaw Con, February 19th through the 20th at Espache Shawinigan, there we go, in Shawinigan, Canada. Charles, who is, or which conventions are on your list? Well, let's move across the country to Fan Expo Vancouver, February 19th, 21st next year at the Vancouver Convention Center, Vancouver, British Columbia. Great Lakes Comic Con Convention, February 25th and 26th. The Con Community College Sports and Expo Center. Warren, Minnesota. Michigan. Michigan. Michigan, Michigan. Michigan. Farpoint, February 25th to 27th. Delta Hotels, Baltimore, Hunt Valley, 
Hunt Valley, Minnesota. Maryland. Maryland. Sorry, Maryland. Level Up Expo. February 26th to 27th, Las Vegas Convention Center, Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, I didn't, I think I've seen bits and pieces of that. I haven't seen final details on it. I do need to check with my local game store. I think I saw something there about that. I have to get more details. So I want to jump back to Fairpoint for a second. Uh, you you guys had the pleasure of meeting my, my old friend, Mark B. Lee, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Mark B. Lee used to work at Fairpoint Convention in Baltimore, Maryland, and we used to make the 10-hour drive all the way down there across the Mason line to go to Fairpoint, and that's where we met Mark B. Lee for the first time way, 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 way long ago. And that's a great Star Trek convention. If, if you're looking for a classic Star Trek convention, Farpoint is the one for you. It's a lot of fun, and I highly recommend it. So, yeah. All right, guys. That's our convention calendar, and now it's time for Star Trek. Priority News. one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. Okay, Charles, you get to start us off with our Star Trek news this week. Well, we might have to go into our level 9 records to get some of this information. Star Trek icon Michelle Nichols receives NASA's honor at L.A. Comic-Con. Michelle Nichols, best known for Matoya Yahura on the original Star Trek series, made her final convention appearance at L.A. Comic-Con a, couple weeks, a few weeks ago. The iconic actress, singer, and dancer signed autographs, posed for photos, and attended an early birthday celebration as she turned 89 on December 28th. Several panels paid tribute to Nichols, who did not make any public statements. During during her farewell panel on Sunday at Comic-Con LA, NASA astronaut specialist Denise Young showed her with the NASA's exceptional public Achievement Medal for her long decade commitment to the diversifying NASA. A life well lived is rewarded enough every day, and my mother certainly had a life well lived in many respects. Nicole's son, Jameson, told the audience, this is an exceptional recognition, and I'm, of course, very proud of her for all she's done and the value and meaning of her work, not just as an actress, but as re- uh, real and important work she, she's inspired and enabled people to understand. And I'll put a side note that there were several members of the fleet that I'm a part of that were there, and our, I think a couple of the crew members from our sister ship <clears throat> was there helping with that with one at least one of those events. 
he also had a Star Trek style send off, I think, on the final day. As we just say, how do you do a, how does a ship do a crew send off? What do you do? It's not in a black torpedo, right? No, yeah. you line up on you line up, <laughs> you line up on either side and you blow the whistle. It, yeah. Exactly. She had a hall she had all kinds of fans lined up in the hallway nice. to salute her. That's awesome. It is. Yeah, that would have been cool. She got well respected cool. at that convention. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I'm sad that I probably will never get to meet her. Uh, man, what a woman. I love that documentary, that uh, woman in, Women in Motion. Uh, that yeah. was a great, that was a great one. Woman in Motion. Excuse yeah. me, just one, one woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that, you should definitely check out that documentary about Michelle Nichols and her influence <laughs> on the space program. And it just dials right into when I was falling in love with space and the start of the space shuttle and everything as a kid. So uh, very near and dear yeah. to my heart. Uh, all right. Well, I'll take the baton from there, uh, Charles. And speaking of Christopher Plummer, uh, Star Trek VI still holds a franchise record 30 years later. Can you believe it's been 30 years? In 1992, the sixth movie in the Star Trek franchise, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, set a franchise record that still hasn't been beat almost 30 years after the movie's 1991 release. Star Trek first aired during the 1966 broadcast season and was only a moderate success being canceled after its third season. However, the show developed a dedicated fan base in syndication, and the first feature film, Star Trek Motion Picture, was a huge hit, propelling the franchise into being a major pop culture property. Over the years, Star Trek has reached a number of noteworthy milestones, but critically and culturally, both critically and culturally, but one such achievement has only happened once, and Star Trek VI was the film that did it. Star Trek VI was by no means a cheap production, but it did use a modest budget relative to the time and relied on a more strong story than spectacular set pieces. As a result of its strong plot and acting, the movie was a huge success. It won a number of awards, including the coveted Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film, and to date... It's the only Star Trek film to do so. And I will tell you that I think it, I think it well deserves it. We've talked many times about favorite Star Trek films, and six is uh, usually top three for many, many people. It's a great film, um, thanks, of course, to Christopher Plummer, but uh, the rest of the gang as well. So it's cool that it won that award back in the day and still holds that honor. Absolutely. Well, it's one of a rare, I think it's a rare set of films which actually has the actors and actresses signing their signature at the end in the credits. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice send-off. It was a perfect way to kind of close out that that era of Star Trek, so to speak, yeah. um, you know, prior to the TNG taking it all over. So yeah. pretty cool. So, Jim, you've got a great story about our favorite ensign slash lieutenant. Yeah, we're, I, I was going to do this one at the top, but I'm gonna, I moved it to the bottom because we're going to seg- – it's a perfect segue. It's segue-esque, right into what we're the topic of the show. Uh, and I wanted to do this one because so many fans are worried about this character and about this actress, and, and there's all kinds of things flying around. 
So oh, we're gonna we're gonna tackle yeah. the elephant in the room right off the bat, okay? Mary Wiseman uh, yeah. talks Tilly's few. Yep. I was going to say before you mention this article, this article spawned a new rule that's going to go in place on the Trek Talking page. We are now going to do a requirement that our posts. And comments, we want to limit where we do not ha- – we have a 48-hour prevent uh, – where we really – we spoiler-free zone. We're, not, we're going to limit or try not doing any spoilers to an episode until Monday morning, which gives everyone at least an attempt to try to see the episode. Right. Exactly. Uh, now, we listen to our fans on this one a bit. Now, the, the, we're always a week behind when we do our reviews, uh, obviously. The episode that's on tonight, Examples, um, we're not going to be talking about till next week. So we're always going to be a week behind on the podcast. This particular story, uh, I, I wanted to get it on the Facebook page because so many people were so worried about the character and about the actress and whatnot, and rightfully so, that I just wanted to put everybody's mind to rest. So before we go any further... Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. And I don't really think it's a spoiler because anyone that's into Star Trek already knows this. But anyways, Mary Wiseman talks about Tilly and Star Trek Discovery. One of the storylines this season has been how Tilly has been feeling out of place. Today, all is possible gave, and again, today as in last week, that's all is possible gave Tilly a new path as she was seen at the end of the episode leaving the USS Discovery to take up a teaching post at the newly reopened Starfleet Academy. Wiseman described working on that final scene between Tilly and Berman. It was really emotional and really tender. When we read it the first time we read it through, it was really teary. I love Sonequa very, very much as a person. She's a dear friend, and I also adore Tilly and Burnham's friendship as exists in the story, and they have all these nice, quiet, intimate moments with each other kind of sprinkled throughout the series. And so the return of that sort of home base felt organic and just really special. I hope it came out well because it felt really good as we were doing it. And I love the work with Sonequa. She's such a good actor. Wiseman says, This change for her, Tilly, feels right. It just felt like an organic outgrowth of the story, that she was in the sweet place of questioning both her past and her motivations for the path that she was currently on. That's kind of what this character needed, some time to grow on her own as an adult. So it felt kind of natural extension of that. As for Tilly's future, Wiseman offered some assurances to fans that today's episode wasn't the end of the road. You will see Tilly again before the end of the season. Don't worry, she said. She did offer a little bit of detail on how Tilly will be different when she returns to the show. I'll say that her hair is slightly different, and she's wearing a different outfit. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So, and if you guys watched The Ready Room with Will Wheaton, she pretty much said that on the ready room as well that Tilly will be back. I have not seen this week's episode. So 
which is good because I can talk about my feelings about it without being tainted. I want to say for myself, I, I said this last week too. I love Tilly. Tilly is, is my all time favorite discovery character because I see so much of me in her. I see Tilly as us, as the fans of the show in the show. And I think she's such an important integral part of, of the dynamic of the crew and of the show that I don't know how I'm going to react to an episode to a, a Star Trek without her. And I'm really concerned about how, how that's going to play out, and, and, which is a good thing. I haven't seen tonight's episode to know that. So my, my opinions are completely honest and off the cuff about this um, because I love her character. And as she said, she's so intertwined into everything. She's got a really great relationship with Saru. She has a really special relationship with Michael. She's got that thing going on with Stamets. And to remove that dynamic from the crew, how how is the show going to work without that? I'm really interested to see. And I myself am going to miss her dearly. Um, What do you guys think? First of all, have either of you guys watched tonight's episode yet? Yeah, we both watched it and then... Uh, oh, not tonight. Oh, no. Sorry, not tonight. No. Sorry. Tonight. Okay, <laughs> no. good. No. Okay, because <laughs> I didn't – I. these are all honest, off-the-cuff honest opinions. opinions. Yeah. Good. Yeah, okay. totally. I, I, what I was going to say was I did watch the uh, Ready Room from last week that had Mary Wiseman on it, and she did say when Will Wheaton asked her, you know, what it would be like for Tilly being off of Discovery, she said, I think that they will talk all the time. That was what she said. So I fully expect Tilly to still be an integral part of the story, despite the fact that she's not on the ship, which kind of gets me excited because it, it gives us another touchstone back to Federation headquarters. And I was realizing during this episode this week, um, one of the things that's just kind of weird for me, and I don't know, it's because I don't live in space, but Federation HQ being in space is still weird to me. Like, don't you want it to be on a planet? Don't you want it to be on Earth? And I understand why they're doing it this way, because it, it makes sense with the story that they've told and, and how Earth and the Federation kind of got to where they are. Um, but, yeah, she's basically going to be, I think, on that big spirally space station thing that they all kind of park at, right? With Admiral Vance. With Admiral Vance, chilling with Vance. That's right, having lunch yep. with Vance. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> So that'll be cool. So, I mean, I think they're going to keep her in the story. Yeah, you don't get the Tilly interaction, but, um, you know, they kind of set Adira up a little bit as a sort of Tilly successor. And I think what this does is it takes all of those concepts that we learned about Tilly in the last few seasons and the book that we read, and it allows them to explore those a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, Wow. It's time for a, uh, another quick commercial break, guys. But we, we're going to dive really deep, deep down the rabbit hole of all is possible. We've got a lot to talk about and a lot more Tilly coming up. So uh, don't touch that dial. Run to the bathroom and come right back right after this awesome message from Jamie. Maybe. There we go. Hi, this is Jamie from Chep Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best sci-fi themed podcast. 
Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and sci-fi themed content. Call 646-668-2433 Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Coast Time. We can't wait to hear from you. Live long and prosper. And we're back. And uh, before we go any further, guys, I have to do this yet again, just to, just to cover us. Red alert! Suffice to say, full spoilers follow from here on out, so if you haven't watched the episode yet, definitely go check that out first before you watch. All right, so please go watch the episode and come right back. And now it's time to talk about all is possible. I'm going to play the trailer for you guys if you haven't seen it, just to set the mood. I know there's been something on your mind. I have been trying to step outside my comfort zone, like little baby steps. Challenge myself. Go. Get inspired. Okay. (laughs) So fun. Today is about the very future of Starfleet. The anomaly has ignited old and new fears alike. So, typical day. All right, all is possible. We're going to talk about it. But first, uh, every every week I post on our Facebook page because we like a lot of fan interaction, guys. You know, the three of us are no different than any of you that are listening to this podcast right now, okay? So uh, we like to hear from you guys. And every week I post on our Facebook page a simple question for you guys. Rate this week's episode on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. And then we average out that score we read your comments here on the podcast so everyone can be heard, and then we break it down and we talk about it. So, Eric, what do our Facebook fans have to say about All is Possible? Well, our good friend and frequent caller Nathan Kornhoff said, I thought this episode was better than last week. For positives, I enjoyed the team building story arc, the best of the separate plots presented to us. On the negative side, for the Navarre story arc, I was disappointed that Burnham once again inserted herself as basically the only option they had for compromise. I'm sure there are many more well-suited diplomats that could be available should the issues arise. I would expect that she is going to be too busy captaining a starship on important missions. I give this one an eight. Thanks, Nathan. Great review. Uh, Timothy J. O'Hara gave it a 10, though I do not understand why the phasers don't work. Stephen John Sisko says eight. I gave the previous episodes seven thus far. Mark McKinney said, I gave this episode a solid 10 because I love Tilly. Love it, Mark. Uh, Osmondo Hines said a 10. Top fan Gregor Cameron gave it a 1. Marsha Medeiros Tobin said 9. Love the show. Justin Padalini said 10. I loved it. Jeremiah McLean Meeks gave it an 8.5. And top fan Darren Walker Gave us a nice breakdown. New planet and new alien thingies, nine. Tilly leaving, ten. Vulcan showing emotions, eight. The Saru and Tarina storyline, nine. Sarek and Amanda overtones. Funny that Michael is part of the total score, a nine from Darren Walker. And that brings us to a total fan score, not quite edging out the top score so far, but it does give us a solid 8.3, which is pretty good. Yeah, not too bad at all. And we actually have a caller on the line, and I think we know who this guy is. I'm going to – yeah. 
Hey, hello. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hey, David from Portland, Oregon. Dude, see, see, dude, I knew your name. See that? I remembered. I remembered. I just want to let you guys know that I'm not going to be able to talk as much today. Um, I am actually heading out, but I'm going to be listening. So, yeah. All right. Well, well, you know what, David? I'll tell you what. Why don't Why don't you give us your your uh, episode score? So that we can we can get you in there before you have to leave. So on a scale of one okay. to ten, our fans gave it an eight point three. What would you give this episode? I think it's actually I do have to agree with Eric that it is actually better than last week's episode. Um, so I'm definitely going to be putting it up from eight last week to I want to say about a nine. Nine, excellent, cool. All right, so. So David gives it a nine. Our fans gave it an 8.3. We're going to break it down and talk about it, and then we're going to tell you what we scored it. So I've got – this was a tough one for me because there there were so many issues and, and plots that I wanted to touch on. So breaking down some sound bites to talk about was tough. But I've got to start with Tilly, all right? This has got to be our big one. So the first clip I want to play for you guys is Tilly talking to Dr. Colbert. I still feel lost. Your time with the co-op lot wasn't helpful? No, it was. They have this whole absolute candor thing, so I kind of tried that on myself. And? It's, it's like, you know, all these years, I think I have been on this straight line path to the captain's chair and just trying to get there as fast as I could. But now I think maybe... Maybe you need to take a detour? Yeah, I have been trying to step outside my comfort zone. I hunted down a nun. I ate foods that I hate. Have you ever tried Rigelian rutabagas? Because they are horrible, so don't, seriously. But these are like little baby steps, and I feel like I really need to challenge myself Maybe I could volunteer in astrometrics or study medicine. I don't know. Seems to make you happy. It might be a good idea to clear your mind before you make any choices. That is, that is exactly the problem. My mind doesn't clear. And then now with all this DMA craziness going on, it's like... You know, Dr. Kovic came to me looking for a Discovery crew member to lead some cadets in a team-building exercise. He's consulting with Starfleet Academy, believes we have something special to offer since we served in a time before the burn. How would I justify bailing on Commander Stamets to go lead an exercise? The captain's requiring everyone to take some downtime. This would count as yours. Go. Get inspired. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's hoping. All right. So I, I wanted to start with this one because, first of all, I love Dr. Colbert. Uh, he's quickly becoming my favorite doctor. I, I really like how he's, he's, he slipped really well into this Deanna Troy counseling mode. And I, I, it's great to see him interacting with the, with the crew and his advice. And I think Wilson Cruz, is, he, he, he comes across as such a, uh, a warm-hearted, kind, and caring type of 
individual. I mean, the look on his face, the, 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 the tones in his voice. I mean, he really, really nails that role. And I, I love seeing him get a chance to show some acting chops with, with Tilly and then again later with Book, which we're going to get to. So I love that scene. And I also love the way it sets up Tilly and the problems we're seeing with Tilly and her, her issues that she's dealing with. So that scene was a good scene to start off the show with. Um, what did you guys think about that? Charles. Well, I think Calder is really becoming the ship counselor that we always wish the ship counselor would be. Deanna Troy kind of spent a lot more time on the bridge. We didn't see as much or, as much of her interaction with the crew. Whereas I like where, no, we don't see him on the bridge dealing with them there. He takes them independently, and he goes and talks to them. And he's really got his feet on the ground, to say. And one of the Culver stories, and I'm not sure if it's in your list or not, was his final discussion with Booker when Booker? Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're no, gonna no, stop him. there. Yeah, we're gonna get I'll to that a little bit later. Yeah, we're talking about the but Tilly I like thing. The, right I now. like the direction. I like the direction they're taking Colbert. I like this new side of him. I think it's gonna add more to his character in this series. And I hope they and keep I, it up for a little while. I think you hit the nail right on the head, Charles. I think that when they created the Troy on TNG, uh, what was that, 25 years ago? They had Dr. Crusher. They had Deanna Troy. And then they added Guinan. So they had three characters who were all supposed to be the caring type. So, you know, they had to divide that all up. Um, so... Now that we have Discovery, Colbert is the doctor, and we don't have a counselor. So he gets to fill all those roles, and I think that's why the character is coming out so strong, because they don't have to divide him up between other characters. He gets all the meat and potatoes for himself. So I, I think you're absolutely correct. And uh, Eric, you want to add anything? On... Yep, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Charles. I was going to say, and now we're not focusing on just Stamets, Colbert and Stamets, or Colbert right. and Grenadira. We get to see him all over. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Jim that Colbert is definitely fastly becoming one of my favorite characters. And in this particular scene, I think the the purpose that he really serves is he teases Tilly out of her shell. Like, she... She knows that there's something that has to happen, but it's almost like she doesn't have the the will or the strength or the knowledge to kind of, of like what to do to break out of it. And he provides that catalyst. And one of the big 
differences between like Troy and Culber, I think, is that Troy, first of all, the idea of a counselor was totally foreign. Remember when TNG first came on, everybody's like, why do you need a counselor on the ship? Now we look back and we're like, God, they could have used a better counselor on the ship. (laughs) But so a lot of that is just evolution of people's awareness of mental health and how important it is and that kind of stuff. So it allows the writers to write Culber in a different way. But also, Remember, he's more of a family member to this crew than Deanna Troy really was. I mean, they're a million miles from nowhere. All of their family members are dead. Uh, so he's really, and you, we'll talk about this later with the book interaction, he's really able to interact with these people on a more personal level than Deanna Troy was able to. And you can see that in this scene with Tilly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David, did you want to add anything about this clip? Okay. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Just listen. So um, we're talking about Tilly leaving, and we're going to dive really deep into that right now. And I can't talk about Tilly leaving without playing the Tilly Leaves clip. I heard about what happened on the mission. How are you doing? You know, crashed into a nice moon. Stranded in an electrical storm chased by a flesh-melting alien. So, typical day. I know there's been something on your mind. We haven't really sat in here together since you became captain. Right. I remember when we first became roomies. <laughs> I was so scared to bunk with a famous mutineer. I think I like, I think I laid awake at night being scared you were gonna like knife me in the back or something. Well, you snored like crazy. I had to get the computer to black out the frequency so I could get any sleep. I'm sorry. I only blacked it out for a few days. And then I, I kind of started liking it. Really? Really? You're weird. You want to go back, don't you? I do. Because getting my lieutenant pips was the worst day of my life. You know, I I never could figure out how my mother became a diplomat. She was such a hard ass at home. No compromise. She had everything planned out. She had my whole life planned out. So when I told her that I wanted to join Starfleet instead of the diplomatic course, So I always thought that I was doing this for me. But then when I got the pips, all of a sudden I realized, like, my mom is 900 years in the past. She's never going to see me wear them. And I started wondering if this is what I really wanted or if I just really wanted to be seen. You know, and that was humbling. I think it could be a useful perspective for a teacher. Well, I'll miss seeing your face every day. No, it's not forever. You'll still see me around Fed HQ. 
And then, you know, if it's really bad, I can get Zora to record me while I'm sleeping so you can listen to me snoring like I know you love to do. <laughs> I said I kind of liked it. <laughs> Let's not get So I loved, I loved the interaction of these two in this scene. And I, it was great because I thought back to the very first episode, the first time Michael meets her. And, and here they are saying goodbye in the, in the same way that they said hello. I thought that was a great, great circle. I also didn't get the feeling from this, like when Giorgio left the show, you knew she was leaving the show. They all said goodbye, but in this one, they kind of did a montage, and we saw her hugging each one of them. She left her uh, snow globe behind with the Enterprise in it from the NX-01, which was really cool. Um, but I didn't really get the feeling that this was the final goodbye. It wasn't played that way, um, which gave me hope. But more than that, did you guys notice that her cadet crew had – an Orion, like Tendi, and we saw a um, uh, a Tellarite, like we have on Prodigy, whose character's name I can't remember right now. But did you notice how they're taking the animated characters that kids are going to see on the animated Star Treks and putting them in a real-life show? And when you add that to the fact that we heard Alex Kurtzman uh, toying and teasing us with the idea of we'd like to do a Starfleet Academy series. And here we have a major character from discovery leaving the show. And we coincidentally have these cadets that are of races that we've seen on the animated show. Starfleet Academy would be obviously about younger people. And it seems to me like they're setting up a Starfleet Academy series, just like they did with strange new worlds with with Pike and Spock and number one. Well, what do you guys think? Am I am I am I reaching too far or do you agree with me? What do you no, think, I would Eric? To- I would totally agree with you. I don't want to get too much into it because I know we've got another cadet clip coming later, but I will just say that one of the things that I think is so cool right now is that um Star Trek has taken the uh the kind of traditional approach out of it in that they, like a race of people is no longer the bad guys. Like the Klingons aren't the bad guys or the Orions aren't the bad guys. What they're doing is they're showing everybody all mixed all the time and there are bad guys within each group uh, and some completely independent of any race or planet or culture or anything like that. So that's something that I think is really cool. And I think Tilly, what she says in this particular scene with Burnham about her perspective being unique because she was forced into this kind of uh, track by, in some ways, by wanting to rebel against her mother. And, and by the way, Will Wheaton just has a very heartfelt moment in the ready room about this particular scene and the way that it, it touched him. Um, you know, it's a it's a really special thing, and I think it it shows you Tilly's journey and how she feels like she's becoming who she really is because she does have this unique perspective. And although although it's away from her friends and away from Discovery, 
It's what she needs to do to really be her true self. And if that is not a great life lesson, then I don't know what is. Um, just fantastic. Absolutely. Well, what, Charles, you got any any input or insight on this particular clip? Yeah. Well, one of Will's comments is he took a line straight from shit from Tilly's feet. And he said, to be seen. <laughs> And I think that's something that really hits a lot of us is we want to be seen. Yeah. We want people to see us for who we are. But I also thought this scene was very interesting just listening to it. Because as I heard them speak, I was listening to the music in the background. And the music was soft one tone at a time. It was a slow pace music in the background. It just fits the, it fits the scene so well. But that Jim always talks about, oh, he, love, he loves the music that they get out of Star Trek. And that was such a fine example, the music in the background. It's, it's just barely there. And if you close your eyes, then you can hear it. But how well that music just moves you in it's a calming moment in that scene. It's a beautiful scene. And, uh, yeah, it, it was very well done. Very well done. And uh, hopefully we'll see more. I, I'm pretty sure we will. Yeah. I haven't watched tonight's episode, but I'm sure that we will. So one of the other things that I wanted to talk about in this uh, is the cadets. And, uh, you know, yeah. the future of Starfleet. We had the burn, and now we have a new Starfleet Academy and the first graduating class, which we had the pleasure of meeting. So I want to play a little clip for you guys called Future Cadet. Lieutenant Tilly, Ensign Tao, welcome back to Starfleet Academy. Thank you, sir. It's an absolute honor. I honestly never thought I'd be asked to do anything like this. I was, I was the kid in class who was asked to stop talking. Uh, front row, hand up, that's me. Ensign Tall, you'll be on Shuttlecraft 11. The other cadets are waiting there. Why don't you introduce yourself? Y- yes, sir. Sounds good. Cadet Cho. Thank you for letting me bring Adira along. Uh, Dr. Colbert thought it could be beneficial. They could use a little work in the team building department. It's a problem we're seeing with all of our Starfleet cadets. That's why I'm consulting. They may be the best their worlds have to offer, but they grew up isolated and disconnected. Many of them find it hard to function as a team with individuals they don't already know, especially those of species they've never encountered. But with the DMA, Starfleet needs personnel now more than ever, but if people can't even work together... Precisely. One might say that today's exercise is about the very future of Starfleet. So I picked this particular clip because I think it's extremely relevant to what we see going on in the world today. I think with COVID, everybody's been isolated. Everybody's been trapped inside. And it's time to get back out. It's time to meet people. It's time to go out into the world and interact with human beings again. And that's a lot different than it is doing it through Zoom, doing it on the Internet, doing it through a podcast, um, doing it in person 
is so different than doing it in other ways. And I think that in Star Trek, here we are, we have the burn, so people aren't meeting, you know, Orions and, and you know, Andorians and different aliens like we saw previously. They're only kind of stuck on their one planet, and maybe there's a ship once in a while that comes through, but they're pretty much isolated. And now here's Starfleet opening up an academy and throwing these people together who have never had to interact with other species or maybe even never met other species before. So I kind of thought that clip was, was relevant to Star Trek and kind of relevant to what's going on today in the world outside. So I just wanted to throw that one in there. What do you guys think about that? Well, uh, one of the, co- the, the female who made the comment, and I think it was definitely a response. You see, saying, before I came into Starfleet, I had never met another species. Yeah, Sasha. I had never been exposed to another species other than humans. And this was the first time of dealing with other, other planets, other people. And I could see the fact that this kind of ties into what's happening to us now. We always talk about structure kind of tying into what's going on currently. Well, structure in their own way, I think, did tie into what's going on currently. Yeah, I felt like they were seeing each other in person. I felt like they were talking about my kids' middle school in that scene. You know, they're talking all about how these kids, after a year and a half off, you know, they're coming back together. They're going to school in person, and many of them have lost those skills that they need to be able to do things like work together. So they're seeing more instances of of fights, of disagreements, uh, of bullying, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I think like Star, I mean, Star Trek is always at its best when it is teaching you a, 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 it's a morality play, right? It gives you the little vignette of what, what to do in this life situation. And the overarching theme of the whole season just plays out very well in this scene, which is, you know, togetherness, working together, uh, you cannot do it if you choose to isolate and go off by yourself. You really like you're going to be so much stronger if you open up to the people around you. And I think Tilly's the perfect person to spread that. Yeah, that word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. No, she's going to. I mean, she just reads as an amazing teacher, and and the reason is that she will be able to relate to her students. You know, she is that awkward kid that didn't although she says she was kind of on the fast track to being captain, you know, she's got, that was because she was rebelling against her mom's wish that she be a diplomat. And so she's, she's got that streak in her too. And she can actually relate to kids who have that streak in her. I just, I just love it. It's such a great. One thing. of the clips that I didn't play, but I wanted to is the clip where she's on the shuttle and she's like, Oh my yeah. God, we're going to, we're going to scare for strange new life. <laughs> oh my God. Is that a new life form? So exciting. Wow. Yeah. It, 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 the energy and her enthusiasm that's just pouring out of her at that moment. And, you know, I thought what a perfect teacher, what, what a perfect person to spread that, that feeling. So I think mm-hmm. she's going to do great. And, and I think, yeah, I'm looking forward to Seeing what they do with Teacher her, Tilly. actually. Professor Tilly. <laughs> Professor Tilly, <laughs> well, exactly. As 
as, and I can't think of his name, but the glasses talk later, came in. We were scared discovery. Not because you came from the past, but because you came, you came here with a lot of positivity, a lot of good vibes that we just didn't have. The belief anything could happen. You guys came out with yeah. a very positive attitude, and they didn't have that positive attitude. Discovery changed the direction in which Starfleet needed to go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, listen, guys, we have to take another quick commercial break, but we have a lot of more, a lot of great clips to talk about still. We've got a lot of fun. We've got a lot of discussion. We'd love to hear from you. 646-668-2433 is a number. Run to the microwave and uh, grab your egg rolls. Don't touch that dial. Come right back because we've got a lot of show left and a lot of fun right after we hear this very quick message. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking. Boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. We're talking about Star Trek Discovery, All is Possible. And the next clip that I have, I have, a, I have quite a few, actually, with, with, um, with Booker and Culber. So um, this next clip, I'm just going to, I just called it Grudge is Needy. No, this was Michael's idea. How do you feel about that? Mind meld helped. I'm fine. She says you're still not sleeping. Perhaps we could talk about that. This grudge. She's been especially needy lately. Oh, it's a rough life. You ever been to a standing funeral? El Muerto Parado? No? It's in a, an uncommon earth tradition, but one my family practiced. When a family member dies, their body is embalmed and and posed in a position that best evokes their life. My um, Tio Cesar was this infamous card shark. And so my family wanted to place him at a poker table. And it was all going fine. Till my cousins and I snapped off his thumb trying to place the cards in his hand. What'd you do? I used all my medical training and I reattached it. And then broke off his index finger. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing that whole funeral long. I didn't expect that. Well, in conventional therapy, I'm not supposed to share personal things, but as crewmates, we already know too much about each other, so sometimes the personal helps. Look, I get it. Grief is complicated. It takes many forms. I need to let myself experience it, however it comes, right? Yeah, I was devastated when my Theo died. I was so angry, and I went to that funeral determined that nothing was going to make me feel better. If you're willing, I'd like to try something different with our remaining time. As long as I can keep my fingers. All right, Eric, this is your clip. Take it away. Oh, my gosh, Jim. Um, I have to tell you that one of my absolute favorite 
purpose of this episode is the way that Cobra and Book are interacting with one another. First and foremost, um, I just want to take a step back and acknowledge, uh, you know, Quajon and the destruction of a planet. And I think, you know, if we kind of go back and we kind of take the, the 1978 approach of Star Wars and the destruction of Alderaan, it's like, man, Leia's planet gets destroyed. That really stinks. Let's move on. And I think that one thing Discovery is really doing a great job of right here is they are showing what the fallout of of Book's loss is. Um, I mean, he he doesn't have his planet. He's an he's an he's from an empathetic race with a special connection to his planet. You remember when he brings the transforms back to Quajon and how important that was to him? All gone, like all gone. And I just the way that Culber is approaching this topic with book, he is being supportive. He is showing book that it is okay to feel. And then if he doesn't feel he's going to destroy himself and all of the people around him. And I love that it is two men on a television show who aren't in a relationship with each other, right? They're just friends slash family. And they are showing all of this support for one another. And I think, uh, I can't remember, I can't remember if we're going to do that. I don't think we're going to do this later. Uh, so I'll just mention this to you at the end where he, are we, we're not going to do a clip from the end, right, Jim? Uh, there was one Culver. more clip. Yeah, there's one more clip I'm oh, going to play for Charles, okay. which then, I'm going to do next. Yep. Okay. Then, then I'll, I'll, I'll wait to talk about the, the, the last thing that the last interaction that book and, and Culber have, but basically I just, I just wanted to acknowledge that this is a whole different paradigm from what we've seen in Star Trek. And I'm really digging it as a, as a man who's fairly empathetic and like, you know, I get into talking about my feelings and stuff like that. And I, I love seeing that represented on Star Trek and kind of normalizing that, um, you know, it gives, it gives guys permission to talk about their feelings when they see other guys being able to do it on television. So I just really, really appreciate that. And I loved this scene, this, this scene in particular and the scene at the end are two of the reasons that I just, well, I'll talk about my score later, but uh, bam, just really resonated well, with me. One, well, one of the things I wanted to I mention about this clip real quick before we get to the, to the clip that uh, I was going to play for Charles on, on Star Trek Discovery. One of the things I really like about the show is if you think back to like uh, best of both worlds, Picard is assimilated destroys, what, 12,000 Starfleet officers, upteen ships, and the next episode, you know, it's over. Um, he goes home, rolls around in the mud with his brother, and then flies away. That's it. We hear him mention it on Picard, I mean, on Picard later, so we know that those scars still exist. But but back in the 80s and 90s, they, they didn't have the time to deal with these type of events as they should. And I think it's great the way Discovery is showing the fact that he lost his planet and, you know, two episodes ago. And it just, that grief doesn't just go away with the next episode. It, it's there. And mm-hmm. I think, I hope, I hope that that's what they do with Strange New Worlds as well, where these events will carry yeah. through it. It makes it more, it makes it a more believable show and, and, and more relatable when when that, when you get to see them dealing with these issues after they occurred, and that also brings me back to Tilly because 
if Starfleet was real, we would have officers constantly moving, leaving, being promoted, going here, going there. You know, we lost Lorca. We lost Giorgio. Um, we lost um, Arium. Uh, now we lost Tilly. And in, a, in an organization like Starfleet, this would happen. So I really, really applaud Discovery for the way they're handling all that. I think it's really great. So um, well, I do have a clip to play for the next clip. I want to get one comment in here that I love. When Book sa- Booker says, well, can I keep my fingers? And Cobra is giving that look like, maybe. We'll I see. love that subtle look. It's like, it, it looks like, oh, you might. But it's like, that's a little point where you get, to get a little giggle in there. It's like, oh, a little humor in there, just subtle. But it fits right in. It would have been funny if Booker shows up in the next scene missing a finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, we, but, you know, we get Colbert backstory, too, which is very cool. They're giving us a little bit of flavor from his past, and it helps spell out the character. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. And uh, we've got a caller on the line right now. Hello. Th- yeah, this is great. Hello. Thank you for calling. Trek Talk. Oh, 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 our caller disappeared. Caller, <laughs> give us a call back and we'll get you right back on the air. 646-668-2433. And uh, we'll get you right on the air. But we do have with us Nate. How you doing, Nate? Oh, did I answer, Nate? Hello. All right. Okay. Uh, I was hey, just going to respond is. saying, hey, I, I am the caller. I'm still here, but you said that I wasn't here. So uh, apparently that was no, a different caller then. No, there was another caller that I wanted to get to before I got to you because I knew that that was you and I wanted to get to them. And anyways, it doesn't matter. The caller that was just found, more important though, than me anyway. Yeah, well, not that you're not important, Nate, but this, this, uh, I didn't recognize the number, so I wanted to get to them first. So, caller, give us a call back six four six 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 eight two four three three, and I will, I will get you on right away. So, Nate, what do you think so far? Uh, well, uh, I, I just, I don't know what you guys have been talking about. I just was able to call in as you guys were talking about uh, Colbert here and book. So I don't I don't know what the other uh, uh, clips that you guys uh, played earlier. So um, all right, that's cool. But, uh, but as far as Colbert goes, we talked about it a little bit offline um, uh, last week, and uh, I still would like to know uh, if he is the doctor. What happened to the old doctor? Have you guys looked into that, uh, any over the last week? I, I don't. I don't. I honestly don't know, to tell you the truth, if if she came with them or not. I don't know. Oh, she did. It's posted on Memory Alpha that she was there in the beginning. Um, the other thing was the rank. Did you uh, rewatch and see, was he a full commander now on the pips, or was he a lieutenant commander? I actually haven't watched tonight's episode yet, so I don't know. No, no last week's episode, out. though. Oh Would've... no, I I I didn't. I I was watching the episode, doing research for tonight's show. I oh, didn't okay. actually pay attention. But okay. but we do have a clip here. 
I do have a clip that I want to play for Charles, and uh, it's just called Healing. Damn it. This is a waste of time. Take a breath. Try again. You think I don't know what this is? What is it? A sad attempt to try and replicate Quaithul and Quay. Quaithul and Quay? The Quaithul healing ritual. This is nothing like it. How is it different? We're healed by our planet. For Quaithul and Quay, you need sand from the bed of the Mameksha River. You need to ask the Tuli Forest for their blessings. You need the great storms of the Nalem Quay to make... That is programmable matter made to look like sand because they're nothing but cheap tricks that you got from reading a damn holopad. You think it's substituting my home with this rubbish? It'll never be the same. It'll never work. It won't be the same. Of course not. Quijan was one of the most beautiful places in the known galaxy. Its loss is devastating. Profound. And you won't heal the way you would have before. You will never feel the relief of Quetalam Quay again. I don't know how much longer I can take this. <laughs> how long am I supposed to do it? A long ass time. All right. Take it away, Charles. Well, we go into the third part of the scenes with them. I think that one that really caught to me, okay, they're trying to get Booker to actually work with this programmable matter. And he finally, this isn't going to work. And yet he works at it and works and can finally do it. And then Colbert says, well, you're, when you're done with it, you just blow it away and let things go. And one of the things that the comment Booker said is, well, do you have anything you want to let go? Anything you want to talk about? And Colbert goes, not yet, but I do. And immediately I got to thinking, the book, Dead Endless. And it's like, I wonder if they're going to try taking some details out of Dead Endless kind of your, to help heal Culver. And it's just a storyline that I wait to see what they do with it. I want to see if they ever do get the story for Culver. Because I wonder if they may take pieces of Dead Endless, which we have reviewed into the storyline because it ties in what happened to him because he does talk about things like, okay, I do have some stuff in my past that I still need to let go. Absolutely. And just gives me an idea of what kind of the character Colbert is. And I like that kind of character. He's not one dimension, two dimension. He's three and four dimensions. He's a complicated character. And I like what he's doing. And I like what they're doing with him. You know, he's like an onion. He's got lots of layers. <laughs> yeah. Eric, 
What about you? Do you want to add anything to this clip? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, back to the, this clip. I think, Charles, you made some very excellent points about the last scene uh, in the show. Back on this clip, I think the kind of, like, Star Trek lesson that I would get out of this particular clip, first of all, David Ajala acted the heck out of this, and every time I watched this scene, I it was like it moved me to tears because you can feel his pain at losing Quajan. And I think the lesson that you take out of this scene is – even when things look like they possibly can't get any worse, you cannot give up. You cannot stop trying. And he, he fails at this thing that he's trying to do with the programmable matter. And yet Culber is there to help support him, help get him back on his horse, help make sure that he does the Spider-Man thing and never stays down, always gets back up. And I just, I really think that that is a lesson that we can all take to heart given how much we all been beat up over the last year and a half here or so by circumstances. So love this scene. Once again, a 10 for me. And I, I've got another clip here that I want to play because we're running out of time here called the exit clause. President Relic, we too are glad to be nearing the restoration of our alliance. However, there is one final matter we must discuss. The reality of the gravitational anomaly and the threat it poses to our galaxy has shifted many things recently for all of us. I am aware that this will come as a surprise. However, we will require an amendment to the agreement, allowing for Navarre's immediate and unconditional withdrawal from the Federation, should the need arise. An exit clause. I'm sure you are also aware this is unprecedented. Madam President, I must remind you that before the burn, Navarre and other worlds felt the Federation had grown so disconnected from its members that it was unable to consider their individual needs. Trust was eroded. The repercussions are still being felt. We cannot accept a rejoining without measures in place that protect us from such a situation arising again. This is a different time. Madam President, be that as it may, we stand firm. The Federation would never force any world to remain a member. Navarre is proof of that. However, unconditional withdrawal is not acceptable. That would give Navarre all the benefits of membership. Well, the Federation would bear all of the risks associated with its exit. Furthermore, such a precedent would allow other worlds to request similar clauses. A weaker federation would result. It is illogical to rejoin an organization that seeks to impose conditions on our judgment. Perhaps we have moved too quickly in these talks, if I may. With the tremendous strides made to reach this point, it's illogical to forfeit over one issue. Navarre has endured without the Federation for a century. We will continue to do so. Madam President, there is a difference between enduring and thriving. President Tarina, may I propose a recess? Very well. So I picked this clip because this clip has something that Star Trek has been lacking for a while, and that's the politics of the world of Star Trek. Um, we don't really get, we, we see a 
the Federation president um, on Deep Space Nine. We see the the movie. Uh, you know, we we see glimpses of the president. We never get to see the president doing presidential stuff, and we never really get to see what goes on behind the scenes of the Federation, other than starships flying around on missions. But there's a lot of politics that go on. And the Federation is a huge, vast conglomeration of planets. And there's got to be a lot of political cogs and wheels that keep that whole thing working. And this particular scene just pointed out the fact that there's a lot that happens once a starship leaves a planet. Look at Lower Decks, second contact, right? There's Mm -hmm. a lot that has to happen, you know, after Captain Picard or Captain Kirk meets the Telosians or whoever, there's a lot more that has to happen there. And in this particular clip, we get to see the president doing her job as a president. And we get to see another planet, in this case, Navarre, wanting to get back into the Federation. And it makes me think, what exactly does the Federation do? Because the president says the Federation would bear all the weight and Navarre would get all of the benefits. So what exactly goes on when you become a member of the federation what 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 happened how does that happen you they don't deal in money so there's no No. there's no money being exchanged there's no what what benefits would you get from being in the federation versus not being in it uh you get cookies cookies. you get milk and cookies Access to supplies, access to certain technologies. I know things back into Picard, allowing, bring in technology to help build, add more colonies, being able to make the place more livable so that more people can live there, help sustain them. I think there's a lot of stuff they would do to for a fellow planet to help them in case they've got any issues going on their pl- problems on their planet to help solve those problems deal with any diseases on the planet deal with planetary needs people's needs well and I Charles trying to do it. go ahead Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, exactly what you're saying, and I think that's part of the point of this episode, Jim, is that – so you remember, first of all, back in the episode that started with the butterfly people and how – I was just going to mention the butterfly people. Yeah, so so the scene at the beginning of that one where where Burnham and Book are talking to the butterfly people, and basically they're like, hey, we want to give you this dilithium, and the butterfly people are like – you're crazy. Nobody gives anything away for free. And right, the interaction doesn't go very well. And I think the point of this episode is to show that the the Federation, yes, now they have a vast supply of dilithium. And there's no question that that is actually helping them rebuild their society because you can't rebuild a society without a sustainable power source, right? So they've got that. But I but I also think the point of the episode is that it's so much based on trust. And Tarina has that great quote later on where she's like, you know, is trust when she's talking to Saru, she says something like, is trust enough? Is the promise that somebody will come to help me if I need help enough upon which to, to build this relationship. And I think that the episode shows that you have to have the trust 
Not only that, but this scene in particular, I just want to say, Jim, shows how freaking smart Rillick is because she, she, first of all, she knew it was coming. Tarina and her were working behind the scenes, so she knew this ultimatum was coming. She admits that to Burnham later on, but she still plays it up. Did you see the face that she made when Tarina drops it in that meeting? Like, she looks like she's about ready to tear her hair, her head off, and yet she maintains her cool. Uh, the acting by, uh, I think her name's Chela Horstall, uh, who's playing Rillick right now, amazing in this scene. Like, you just feel all of the things she's feeling, um, and I love it. I just love her so much. <laughs> Can I add something? And, yeah, oh, David, absolutely. Hey, yeah, I just want to let you guys know that I'm home now. So um, I just wanted to add something about when uh, Jim mentioned that this is the first time that we've seen that uh, Star Trek uh, series actually did something about presidents. Um, it got me to think that the whole idea of all the Star Trek series together have all been focusing on with, uh, um, with ships driving around and doing all this stuff. And I was Star just Flip. thinking... Yeah. yeah, Starfleet. I was just thinking, didn't they mention that Starfleet and the Federation were two separate organizations? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Federation oh, okay. is the Federation of Planets, and Starfleet is the is the Navy, essentially. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that was a thing. <laughs> the scientific Navy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something along <laughs> well, those lines. Uh, let, me, let me throw one in that Eric might relate to. His last best hope. For Picard, remember how the colonies were kind of, they're focusing on the Romulans and they're not focusing on us. And they kind of want to start becoming separatists at that point. Uh-huh. You see, we get to see a little bit of that politics in there, in the novel. And that's, I agree, something that Jim, we don't see in the series. And I think the novel handled that some some of that politics very well, and that there is a lot of needs of the planets that are part of the Federation. Part of Star and, and I also I think that Charles, I think they addressed that rather well in this episode because uh, the Federation president is representing the Federation and. Uh, uh, Tarina's representing the bar, and then Michael ends up representing Starfleet itself. And they want to know, yep. they ask in this particular episode, why is a member of the military at a civilian uh, negotiation? To which Michael responds that she is the only person who happens to be a member of Navarre and an officer in Starfleet. So she yep. can serve as the bridge between the military and the civilian because she's the only person that holds both of those posts, which I thought well, – and culturally, I, I never, and, and culturally cult, she's right. both Vulcan and human too, so that helps and a lot. It never, yeah. it, that's something that I think a lot of people forget is that Star, Star Trek is not Starfleet. The Federation is the Federation. Starfleet, is like, like Eric just said, is the Navy of – the Federation. Star Trek isn't about Starfleet. It's about the Federation. But Nathan, I know we, we talked about your comment earlier uh, before you got on the podcast. If if you're still with us, uh, do you want to give your 
kind of two cents on Michael's role in this particular scene? Uh, what did I uh, what did I post? Well, what did you guys that was a whole week ago. I yeah. I brain dumped that. <laughs> it's not fresh in my mind anymore. I, I basically all you said was that you you liked um, you know you liked the episode overall. It was an eight, but the, one of the things that bothered you about it was you felt like in this scene, Michael inserted herself once again as kind of like the only person who can solve who can yes, solve I, the, okay. the problem. Okay, so yes. So if I recall the episode correctly, she brings up there at the end, oh, we could have this committee thing uh, instead. And I don't know where that thought went because all of a sudden it went from, hey, I could be a member of this committee, but then all of a sudden it's all about her because it seems to me – Yes, she is the top name on the show as a star in the same vein as William Shatner was. Uh, she brings up this committee, and it, suddenly it just disappeared from the end there. And I, 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 did, uh, I didn't like that she did that. If, okay, she could be a member of the committee, you're, you're saying she brought up the fact that, yes, okay, she was from Vulcan, uh, well, uh, was adopted Vulcan, um, so she fits that role, and then she's part of Starfleet, yes. So she could be one member on that committee, but if you're going to bring up the committee, then press with that thought. There are plenty of neutral um, there are plenty of neutral races that could be on that committee. Uh, that she could be part of. Not I'm I'm just the committee, just me myself. So I did have. You're right. I did have that, and I did did bring that up in that post. So I have a problem with that. If she's yeah, part of the committee, well, then that's sure. great. Yeah. But yeah. more importantly, she's the captain of this ship. She she has other more pressing issues. She should be captaining the discovery and leaving this position on a committee to the diplomats. She is not a diplomat. So she shouldn't have even inserted herself as in that position in that sense as well, because she's going to be too busy captaining a starship to be a diplomat on a committee. Actually, I think probably the president should not have inserted her into that situation because it was clear from the beginning that the whole thing was a setup and that the president was the one who actually wanted Michael in that position to be able to save face uh, in her negotiations with Navarre, you know, Michael being that kind of third party. And I, I, did, I did get the impression that there was going to be a committee and that it wasn't going to be like committee of Michael I think that she was just going to be a representative on that, but maybe maybe I misunderstood. Yeah, so I, I kind of want to watch that again and see if that was the implication. Well, I got the impression when when Relic said that other other planets would want the same thing. Right. I kind of got the impression that 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 meant they that they were going to have this civilian committee Michael. for other planets. Yeah, you know, that Michael was like the she was like the Navarre representative on this committee of this of this committee or what whoever this committee is you know Andorians, yeah. Tellarites, Orions, whoever they might be. Yeah, in this particular it case, like they're setting up. Uh, sorry, it almost seems like they're setting up the uh, 
uh, Michael Burnham to be as like a jack of all trades type of character, kind of like check off. So listen, guys, you know what time it is? Mm. Howdy yeah. duty time? <laughs> That's right. It's howdy duty time. Exactly. We we have come to the end of another podcast. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe, isn't it? It is. So, anyways, so uh, Eric, what would you what would you rate this episode overall on a scale of one to ten? Mind you, our fans gave it an eight point three. Yeah, Jim, uh, I this was my absolute favorite episode of the season so far. I think I've talked a lot about reasons that I liked it. It was just really well acted, really well um, written. Uh, there wasn't really anything except uh, a deer's feet getting caught in the ice. That thing was a little weird, but the rest of it was amazing. So I gave this episode a 9.5. Wow. That that's, that's a pretty high score. It is. And I understand what I'm saying, but, uh, but I liked it that much. It just, it hit me emotionally in a way that few Star Trek episodes do. And I really liked it. Wow. Excellent, excellent. And uh, how about you? What do you think, Charles? I'm going to tie with last week. I'm going to stick with my nine for two weeks in a row. I wish we'd gotten a chance to talk about the same and the cadets. That really yeah, I, I had conversation between those. I know you did. I wish we'd gotten a chance with those three. Cause that was a really interesting conversation about how you kind of look at somebody and think, oh, you're this. Don't, as we go through the phase, don't judge a book by its cover. Just right. because you might be Orion doesn't mean you follow Orion politics. That's right. Exactly. And, and I, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm right there with you guys. I think I'm going to go right around a nine myself. Um, I really enjoyed this one. I really like the way that we're, we're seeing things carrying through the episode. It's not just happens then they forget about it and move on i really like that realism where, where it carries through and i i really liked what we saw and and i really wanted to talk about the chain and about the cadets as well um but you know, there's only so much time in the show so yeah. uh maybe maybe we'll come we can swing back around to that maybe that will be in tonight's episode when we get a chance to watch it i, I don't know but um and we'll, so yeah, anyways, that wraps everything up for this week, guys. It was it was a lot of fun as always. We got all we crammed a lot into a short amount of time, but I think we covered everything um, that needed to be covered in this particular episode. And uh, I just want to let everybody know that you can find us on Facebook at Truck Talking and Beyond. You got to spell that all out: A N D, Truck Talking and Beyond. Head on over there, give us a like, give us a follow, tell us where you're listening from. We'll get you on a fan shout out. And uh, you can find us always on Facebook. You can also find us at blogtalkradio.com backslash talking. You can give us a like and give us a follow there, and then you'll always get an email notification when we have a podcast coming up. Oh, my God, that lady's yelling in my ear. <laughs> so uh, we're down to 90 seconds. Dun, dun, dun. Hard to believe. I want to say thank you so much to David for calling in tonight and Trek talking with us. Thank you so much, David. You're welcome. It was fun. You're always welcome here. And Nate, thank you for hanging out with us for a little while, anyways. And um, yeah, I wanted to, that. I had a Star Trek news story for you that we didn't cover, but maybe we can cover that next week as well. We'll see. Okay. So uh, thanks for hanging out and Trek talking with us, Nate. 
Yep, not a problem. And, of course, thank you so much to Eric for hanging out with us. Thank you, Eric. Always a good time. Thank you, gents. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and truck talking with us. Oh, good episode. We've been really enjoying what Discovery's doing, so can't wait for more. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, coming to you live from Vermont. And I want to just say to everybody, please stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.